0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a podcast about the HBO original series, Westworld. I'm David Chen.
1: I'm Joyda Robinson.
0: And welcome to the show, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at uh, decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Each week, uh, we will recap uh, this week's episode of Westworld. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about season one Episode 2, entitled Chestnut. Now, before we get into uh, this week's episode, Joanna, uh, I do feel the need to mention that uh, we went through a bunch of different names for this podcast. Like, we just launched this podcast less than a week ago. It's on iTunes right now. You can subscribe to it there. It's also on Pocket Cast and a bunch of other places. And um, when we were deciding whether or not to make this podcast, we had to choose a name for the podcast, right? Uh, And you actually put the call out for people to submit names. Uh, And we went with one of the most boring names, which is Decoding (laughs) Westworld. Um, But here's the benefits of Decoding Westworld. Number one, it's very easy to say and remember. Number two, the URL Decoding Westworld is available, uh, and that's it. Those two reasons are the big reasons. Um, it's Can also... I share my,
1: my favorite one that we didn't use.
0: Yes, you may. Well, the, actually the only, oh. other thing I wanted to say is like, uh, you kind of understand immediately what the podcast is from hearing the name, you know, like it's very clear what it is. Whereas some of these other podcast names, uh, would not necessarily lend themselves to that. So, uh, so that being said, there were some awesome names, Joanna, why don't you share some of them with us?
1: Yeah, or, I should, or your favorite one. Yeah, I should say that I believe the source of decoding Westworld was Ronan Mahigan? Mm. at R Meaghan. Mm, nice uh, Yeah, yeah. But you <laughs> thought I wouldn't be butchering names on this podcast. You were wrong. Yep. Um, so thank you for that, Ronan. My favorite came from someone, Mackenzie Prime at right My wrong, Write My Wrong, W R I T E My Wrong, and his suggestion was. Or her. I can't tell. Two people in the profile photo. Uh, even <laughs> Rachel would listen to this podcast. Even which
0: is, Rachel would yeah. listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which I just think is the most charming thing I've ever heard. So, it, it is amazing. But no one will be able to find us on iTunes. So I'm sorry that we went with the more sensible uh, option from Ronan. But thank you, Mackenzie.
0: I think my favorite one was How the West Was one zero zero one one.
1: Uh, yes, that was so good. <laughs> that's probably
0: my favorite one. It it's, was really good, too. It was very good. Uh, and there were a bunch of other ones, like As the West World Turns and uh, other wordplay. Yeah, that was going on: got um,
1: so many yeah. um, suggestions, thank you guys. Yeah, so
0: just want to acknowledge uh, that you know people asked for this podcast to exist. they also suggested names for the podcast, and so really, you know it, this podcast belongs to the listeners in many ways um, <laughs> and you can always email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. We're going to probably use top of the show or the end of the show to talk about your emails and theories, so uh, looking forward to those emails coming in anyway. Why don't we get to this week's episode, season one, episode two, Chestnut? You know what we did last week, and I think we're going to try it this week again. Is firstly talk about overall thoughts, then talk about our favorite things of the episode, then things we thought that were weak, and then finally concluding with some theories, uh, some questions that we have, uh, and that kind of speculation. So,
1: overall thoughts, Joanna Robinson? I think when, when you know when I initially watched these first four episodes and I'm only going to talk about the first two. Um, I was interested that this episode seemed to, to orient itself around Danny Newton's character uh, versus last week seemed pretty firmly oriented around Evan Rachel Wood's character. And so I was wondering if, if sort of lost style, we were going to get a different like POV character uh, in, in each episode. I'm not sure that that's the case. And, and I read an interview with the showrunners Where they said that a lot of the Thandie Newton stuff, uh, the Maeve stuff, was actually originally for the pilot. But the pilot was too busy, so they had to pull it out into the second episode. And that will make more sense for some of the stuff we're going to talk about later. But um, In some
0: ways, it almost felt like a reboot of of the pilot. Like it felt like this could have been the pilot. You know what I mean? Right. They had too many ideas and they just wanted to like kind of redo some things about the pilot almost.
1: Right, and especially since we got you know um, these two new guests and this new major character in world played by K- Clifton Collins Jr. So there are three like new major characters introduced in the second episode, and that usually does mean that someone's gotten a lot of notes after the pilot and they've done some work on it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing some work and trying to get things better. Uh, I liked this episode a lot. Uh, for the balance of the storylines. I felt the first one was a little, felt a little too crowded to me. And this felt a little bit like there was more space to breathe. And um, I really love the stuff with Andy Newton's character. And I really love the new characters we met. So I, I would say I liked this one better than the pilot. I mean, and, and it had the benefit of not having to do as much heavy lifting in terms of world establishing as the pilot did.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I really liked this episode a lot as well. Uh, it, Did what I think any good episode, especially this early in a series, should do, which is uh, it has some solid action, uh, it has some intriguing new characters, it moves along the mythology of the world, and it concludes in very intriguing fashion. So, uh, really enjoyed Season 1, Episode 2, Chestnut, and uh, let's talk about some of our favorite things about it. So... What is one thing that you liked about this episode?
1: Probably seeing the way that the guests enter the world is is a really vital and interesting thing uh, to experience, to go along with them. And I think if I had one major complaint in the first episode, it would be that – or, I mean, if you listen to the first episode of this podcast, you know I had a couple complaints. But um, I think – one of the major things that I was looking for that I feel like this episode delivered was a character to really latch on to. And I think we find that in Jimmy Simpson's character, William, uh, who enters – who picks the white hat and enters the park and seems quite sympathetic. And I'm not saying everything's going to be like sunshine and rainbows for him the whole way, but um, – He seems like the he, closest thing
0: to an audience surrogate yeah, that we have. Because exactly, yeah, exactly. Because everyone else is either dispassionately working on the park – or uh, a psycho, you know, in some way, because they're a guest and the guests are all, you know, they all seem like they're psychos from my perspective. Um, <laughs> right. So he's the first one that doesn't seem like he just wants to fucking kill everything. Right. And uh, for that reason alone, he uh, is a good person for the audience to see, him, uh, you know, see themselves in. Uh, he also, in a very timely reference, says that he's afraid of clowns, which... I don't think I could thought, have actually <laughs> predicted that that would happen.
1: I know it was good. I I, I watched this uh, the first time before the murder clown story picked up so much steam, and uh, and watched it again this week. And was like, oh, that clown reference lands a little a little differently now.
0: Uh, all right, so I, I really enjoyed that part as well. I did have a question, and I'm curious what you thought of it. It shows how they enter the park. He's clearly walking through a long hallway, and then he ends up in a moving train, Yeah. And uh, physically, it feels like it would be impossible. Yeah. And so I think this lends more credence to the theory that you put forward last week or that we referred to last week uh, that the entire Westworld is some kind of simulation of some kind, like a, a VR simulation that's not physically real somehow.
1: That, I think that's the scene that made me wonder whether yeah. or not it was real. Was I was trying to figure out the physics of the train. Because you see him come in that door, and then you see Ben Barnes' character, Logan, also come in that door. And then the saloon starts moving, and they're on a train. And I, I maybe someone can draw me some schematics that make it make 100% sense. But uh, I watched it a couple times, and it still just – it seems kind of like – Time Lord technology, like, doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, I will
0: say... I'm curious if it's just a red herring. You know, like, if the showrunners didn't even think through, like, the physics of it, and they just said, hey, this would look cool, you know, and they just did it, and that would be kind of disappointing to me, but it's not the first time that a sci-fi show has just, like, hand-waved some technology away. You know what I mean? Um, So
1: That's true. Um, The... um, the other thing I wanted to say about that is, uh, you know, there, there's a theory going around that we can talk about later, but, um, I think a lot of people are, are weirded out that James Marsters isn't on that train because last week we saw him sort of ride into town on the train. Like that seemed to be the start of his loop was yeah. on the train. James Marsden, but- Yeah. Marsden. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. James Marsters this is from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, James Marsden, um, Teddy, we'll call him by his character name, Teddy. And, uh, that's what I will say is those are two very different cars, and if you look at the at the wide shot of the train it's got many cars, yeah. so like they're in a saloon car, which may or may not be the caboose, like it seems to be the caboose if they entered from the back and then they're going, but like they seem to be in a saloon car. Teddy was in more of like a passenger you know sitting down in seats car so,
0: I- so. Ian Monroe in the chat room we're broadcasting this live right now Ian Monroe asks um the logistics of the train are funny, but the train didn't start moving until they got on. So it's possible that it could have worked. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, that thought occurred to me too. Like maybe it didn't start moving until both these guys got on. Like, like the train. Well, they was were the last. The-
1: they were the last passengers aboard. I mean, I think that's yeah. possible because, like, he notices the lantern swinging above the the bar. Mm-hmm. That's how he first notices that the that train moving. Was being- yeah. So I feel like it starts after the Logan character gets on, but it's still – I still have questions.
0: (laughs) Joanna, here is uh, the biggest plot hole of Westworld thus far. Uh, I'm
1: I'm ready, yeah.
0: Is – put aside the incredibly heavy-handed symbolism of black hats versus white hats. Mm -hmm. This place has no brown hats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on guys. Like brown hats is a regular staple of uh of western worlds. So, I don't know what the deal with that is. But you did not you were not irritated by the uh you know, very on the no symbolism there?
1: Yeah, no, I mean there's nothing subtle about that. I think I think what's right um is for us to worry about this William character because like you, you know, the Logan character is going to pick the black hat. The William character is going to pick the white hat. But we want him to stay a white hat mm-hmm. through his stay at Westworld. And I think the concern we're going to have going forward is, like, protecting his white hat status. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's just, it's a dumb binary way to think about it, but it's still, like, it matters for him to have such, like, a flagrant symbol of his innocence that is that could potentially be lost. And that's not a spoiler. That's just my concern. So, Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. I will mention that I thought all the Men in Black stuff was pretty strong this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he encounters Clifton Collins Jr. an Outlaw, who's playing an outlaw named Lawrence. Um, Ed Harris has known this character uh, for the years; like he's seen this character work, uh, and like knows all about him but Lawrence has obviously been reset it's Ed Harris is kind of like the Bill Murray character in Groundhog Day you know yeah. like yeah, he yeah. knows everyone and what they're doing but no one really knows who he is um so he's very godlike in that way and Ed Harris gets to be a complete badass this week and kill like 10 dudes uh even though it's it kind of is not super fun given that Uh, they can't shoot him back, you know, so it's kind of like a one-sided battle. But the way it's shot I did think was very uh, uh, compelling and very thrilling. I have a feeling that it's not going to be for that long that the hosts aren't going to be able to fight back. Uh, It's just my guess.
1: Yeah. What's interesting to me is we talked last week about how – one of the most enjoyable and sort of seems like the episode firing all, all cylinder sequence of last week was the the saloon massacre to paint it black. And I felt a similar way about this massacre. I mean, he massacres these people and then he massacres a whole other town full of people. And I think, yeah, eventually I'm going to get a little tired of seeing androids just be Shot to ribbons, you know, there's no emotional stakes there, especially when they reset. But, uh, you know, for for right now, episode two, like it's still kind of fresh to the music cue kicks in and um, it's stylish, as you say. So
0: anything else that you liked that you want to point out about this episode?
1: I I kind of well, you mentioned Groundhog Day. I I really like knowing that this stuff with Maeve. Um, Dandy Newton's character was originally in the first episode. Um, because then, uh, knowing that, ha- watching it again, um, I was sort of noticing these patterns of threes. Like, let's say we had Dolores's, uh, dropping the can moment all three times in the first pilot. Cause she does it twice in the pilot and once in this episode. Uh, we see Teddy die twice in the pilot and once in this episode. Mm-hmm. And then we see Maeve tell her story about how she got off the boat and the sound she heard, like the first voice she heard. And she does that three times in this episode. Um, so I wonder if initially that was all in one, um, one episode. And then you have these sort of echoing patterns of threes, which, which I think is interesting. And, and I, um, Hard of them maybe to murder their darlings and, like, separate that out over two episodes if they had to um, spread all of that story out a bit more.
0: Yeah, I still think it works. In this way, it's kind of like an echo of the first episode. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and I dig that as well. Uh, on that note, the Maeve note, you know, something I really enjoyed about this episode is uh, the scene when she wakes – all that stuff with her being reprogrammed again. I liked the idea that – Westworld, the theme park or whatever, is uh, like any corporate environment where there's multiple groups of people grappling over the same you know, control – over like control of one thing. Uh, and so you have this uh, technician who's working on Maeve and says, oh, those people in narrative must have given this person like all this aggression and she's going to undo it. And it just – it struck me as very kind of uh, like bureaucracy – Messing with the final product, which uh, I thought was very cool to depict in this fantastical show. Yeah, I like um, that too. And then she wakes up in while she's getting treated for a MRSA infection. Uh, so apparently the uh, the hosts can experience uh, human diseases, which doesn't surprise me because they they do have like flesh and stuff, right? They they do need to feel human when you touch them, so. Uh, so it does strike me as plausible that they would have diseases. But she wakes up and it's very like the Matrix, you know, like Neo waking up for the first time yeah. and seeing the real world. And we see a little more glimpse of how they do the reset. You know, they're hosing off uh, all these bodies with bullet holes in them. James Marsden looks very sad, uh, <laughs> just lying there in the corner. Uh, all that stuff I thought was was very strong. On that note, do we think that the violent delights have violent ends? Like is that a way for them to kind of spread – the uh, infection as it were to kind of jumble or or mess with the code inherent in the system because right
1: so we've seen we've seen the the technicians use verbal codes verbal commands right to yeah. change the way that the androids react and we saw um you know Dolores' father said violent violent delays of violent eds to her she said it to Maeve and that seemed to sort of like wake Maeve up in terms of she was getting those nasty flashbacks to this like homestead massacre that was perhaps a different storyline that she was once part of and um so it seems like that's what they're going for that it's a, that it's an infectious infectious yeah glitch um that can be spread with with a with a phrase that's kind of crazy, right? Like, I, I mean, like that's. Get, verbal commands are part of how they operate, so it's not totally crazy, but it's still like to make it so um, so disease-like, um, and you know, even even Bernard and the Bernard and Elise character were talking about it being an in, infectious. Um, is a is a bold choice, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like they're going to have to <sighs> explain this somehow. Do you know? I, I feel like if they don't explain it somehow, it's going to be pretty unsatisfying. That's my position on it right now.
1: Yeah. Because
0: uh, if it's just like, hey, these machines figured out a way to infect each other with this code that makes them recall earlier instances of their performance, uh, I, I feel like it's got to be someone put it in there. You know, like Jeffrey Wright's character, Bernard, or someone else, like, you know, the other dude. Well, Uh, go ahead.
1: I think it's really important. Like, two really, really important things we learned in this episode is like, one. Bernard is having conversations with Dolores that he's then making her like erase from her log. Yes. So, in um, the most generous interpretation of that, is that he's worried she's going to be decommissioned and he's trying to explore things about her uh, without alerting his team to any kind of potential problem with her. Uh, that's kind of what he says to her. But you know, we we saw him whisper something to Abernathy when he put him in cold storage. So we're we're dubious. And and Ford raises the thought of sabotage. Um, so not just like Ford's reverie code has glitches in it, but like someone is intentionally making these androids do dangerous, more dangerous things, destructive things. Um, the other really important thing we learned in this episode is that some of the people who work in headquarters are androids. Um, you have these white clad hosts uh, greeting the guests at the uh, original platform before they put them on the train that we don't understand how it works um well you're just it, assuming
0: she's an android joanna maybe she's just really into guests that happen to come back.
1: i think she says she says you know we're all here for your pleasure Lynn. yeah
0: so maybe she's a human who, who knows don't
1: know. <laughs> um also I, I, I
0: think in the words of uh, one of the hosts um if you can't tell the difference does it really matter you know what i'm
1: saying well so, it it does matter. Well, okay, To two things. One thing, we know that that person – I think we know that person's an android. Uh, the actress Tallulah Riley was once married to Elon Musk, and Elon Musk tweeted out a very charming tweet a couple weeks ago about her playing a deadly sex bot on the show mm. uh, and how hot she is. So, uh, you know, uh, I think that's <laughs>
0: – I-, I was just giving you a hard time, but uh, I guess – But
1: now you have an Elon Musk anecdote, so you're yeah. welcome. Um the other
0: I, I I just should have known that Joanna would come back with a really well-researched uh tweet. So <laughs>
1: um and then the other thing is um what to me what that throws into question is um and this is something we raised last week in terms of secret secret androids uh are any of the uh, employees we've met secret androids.
0: Right. So there is a scene this week between uh Bernard and uh, Teresa, right? Yeah. And we find out that they're sex buddies, which mm-hmm. you know is a thing that happens. Uh, but then uh, she mentions the fact that, hey, what, like, why do the uh, machines talk to each other, right? And he says it's kind of their way of like practicing how to be more human, correct? Right. And yeah. uh, and then there's a passing reference made. To like, oh well, why do you like talk all the? Day? Is that why you're so talkative?
1: She Go said, ahead. "Is that she said, is that what we're doing now? Right? Is that what you're doing now? Practicing?
0: Right? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, think- Jeffrey Wright is like my number one guess for Secret Android, hmm. and like especially given the way that that Ford sort of treats him like you know he's a protege, he's a son figure, you know, so I feel like Ford treats him as sort of a creation, hmm. um, and." Yeah, that would be that would be my guess. Oh, the other big thing we need to talk about—I know we said we wouldn't do like a full recap, but I feel like we need to talk no, no, about yeah. The, yeah. the kid that Ford meets out in like the desert. Uh, I am very convinced that that is, you know, as are most people, a younger version of Doctor Ford. Right. Um, the, out
0: there. the evidence of this is, firstly, uh, the, the evidence that he's an android is like at the end. Uh, he, Ford seems to give him some kind of command that makes him walk away, like staring into the middle distance. doesn't seem human. And then, uh, he shares biographical details with Ford as well. Right. So right. he's like, yeah, that's what my dad used to say. So it seems as though it's a young boy version of himself that Ford has created that he, just he himself generally talks to.
1: Right. Right. That's what like, seemed like to me. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, to what end? Just to like keep him company, I guess?
1: Therapy? <laughs> I feel like Westworld is a big-time therapy for Ford. You know, like, they're talking about daddy issues. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like it's therapy. We also learn, right, that all the animals, or at least the snakes in Westworld, are androids. Yeah. Um, This isn't just, like, a bunch of androids and then, like, real livestock. Uh, We already knew the horses were fake, but the snakes are fake, so maybe the flies are fake. Um, Well, at this point,
0: I feel the need to interject that uh, I was able to see the original Michael Crichton film, Westworld, this week. Um, So you should assume I'm going to spoil the film in this episode of the podcast, so if you don't want to be spoiled on this 40-year-old film, then uh, you should probably – Go watch the film and come back. I don't know, you know, like I, I don't think it's that much of a spoiler because the film is decades old, and it's, you know, a lot of the stuff from the film is probably not going to make it to the show, is my guess. Um, but I bring it up because the snake was a major part of the film. Like, oh, so it's
1: like a fun film Easter egg, sort of. Yeah, thing.
0: yeah. Like they they make reference, like the snake is um, is like one element of the world that malfunctions. Like it actually bites one of the main characters. And that's how they start to get a sense that like, this world is not supposed to be what it is. Like, it's deteriorating because uh, snakes aren't supposed to be able to harm the humans, you know? Um, they're not supposed to be programmed to. So uh, it happens, like, in a very similar environment to what Ford is in this week as well. So I think it's a nod to, to uh, that element of the film.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. Um, but it is interesting that, like, not only is a snake robotic or – People get mad when I say robot instead of android, so I'm trying really hard just to say android. Though, if it's a snake, it's a android? snake, yeah. I think that's yeah, okay.
0: kind of a uh, robot, right? A or snake a machine? Droid. A
1: snake droid. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the fact that he can control it with gestures, which is something we hadn't seen yet, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, almost like a hypnotist, so or a snake charmer. Um, but that that's an that's an added like to the adding to the iPad and the verbal commands. We have the fact that, um, at least Ford can control some things with just a wave of his hand. Right. So. Right. Oh well, I wanted to ask you about the film because it's my understanding that the two characters, the William Logan characters that we meet in this episode, are also sort of plucked from the film, or there are like strong analogues for them in the film is that is that
0: accurate kind of i mean i should just say overall i thought the film was not very good uh the acting is pretty rough at times and tonally the movie is all over the place uh at times it's incredibly kitschy at times it's meant to be scary uh the one thing that's really effective about the movie is jill brenner as the man in black who basically plays a malfunctioning uh host in the park who then Goes on a rampage, killing everyone, and then the the last half of the movie is about stopping Gil Brenner's character. Uh, so it's kind of like a Terminator precursor in some ways, like that,
1: that or you know. Jurassic Park, one might say. Yeah, yeah, there
0: you go. Um, I, I mean, because it's one dude dressed in black, I feel like the Terminator uh, no, no, analog is a little more clear. But yeah. okay. So anyway, uh, so are are the characters analogs? Kind of, in the sense that. The original film features two protagonists, who like one of whom is experienced at visiting the park, and the other one who is not. Kind of, but like that's where the similarities end. You know, they they don't behave anything alike really. Um, and in the film, the new guy is like v- gets really into the world. You know, like he starts by like k- killing the man in black. You know, one instance of him, and then like has sex with a prostitute, and he's like, yeah, this Westworld place is pretty cool. You know, uh, unlike the Jimmy Simpson character in this episode, mm. who like seems very resistant to the yeah. charms of Westworld, right? So I, I don't know. I, the only similarity is that there's two of them, and that one of them is experienced in Westworld, and one of them's not. Like that's okay. Uh, where I think the similarities end. So. Um,
1: I did want to bring up that we have um, one of our live listeners, Raymond Terry, when we were talking about the Bernard is possibly a host theory, he says, I don't think Bernard is a host. In episode one, he had a photo of a son, question mark, that he quickly hid in his pocket. He must have had a family at some point. And I wanted to say that I'm not unaware of that, and Mm -hmm. then we will get more um, of, like, Bernard's story of of his family and stuff like that. But uh, I don't – really don't know that that precludes – Right. Him being a host. Because yeah, as far the as hosts all have backstories. Yeah. As far right. as Reverend Rachel Wood is concerned, she's got a lot of like history as well. So yeah.
0: Alright. Well, let's talk about some of the other interesting elements of this episode. One of them is we find out a little bit more about the Man in Black's mission. He's trying to find the maze. Right. And in order to do this, he uh he calls it the deepest level of this game, right? Yeah. Uh and the maze. And he has a great line. Uh, in the in the show, where he talks about the difference between Westworld and real life, you know, real life is chaos, um, but here in Westworld, everything adds up. Everything is there for a purpose, uh, which I feel like is one reason why people take a lot of comfort in video games. You know, in general, It's just that like there's an order to it. You you know that everything was placed there for a reason, uh, and I, I thought that was a really f- fascinating and beautiful way uh, for him to put that. But anyway, he uh, tries to force Clifton Collins Jr.'s character, Lawrence, to tell him where the maze is, uh, torturing him, killing all of his men, and uh, killing his wife. And finally, the, uh, his daughter says, follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs. Uh, I assume since you've seen the first four episodes, you know a little bit more about this, right? <laughs> Yeah. All right, so uh, then it would be useless for you to speculate.
1: Since yes,
0: you already know the answer.
1: <laughs> Do you want to speculate?
0: Um well, I think the only thing that's that's kind of interesting is uh Blood Arroyo is uh like uh similar to the term Red River uh and the whole game that what's his name was announcing.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh Lee Sizemore's character, uh, Lee, Simon Quarterman's S- character who plays Lee Sizemore, he, had, uh, he was announcing a new game or a new uh, plot line called, um, what is it?
1: Something on the Red River. Yeah, something on the yeah. Red River, right? Um, like Adventure, Tanner. Or... Odyssey on Red River. Odyssey, okay. Right. Uh,
0: so uh, it seems like those two are related. That's all, that's all I got. Mm. That's all I got. On that note, there's this amazing scene where Sizemore's character does introduce uh, the new plot line. And he thinks Ford is not go- is going to have no problems with it because Ford apparently has not interjected his will into uh, the narrative of Westworld for quite some time. Um, but Ford does give him a hard time about it and says, like, we're not doing this and, like, scrap. apparently scraps the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, and... Feels like Sizemore worked really hard on that, so that's kind of depressing. But Ford says, uh, the guests don't return for the obvious things we do, the garish things. They come back because of the subtleties, the details. They come back because they discover something they imagine no one noticed before, something they fall in love with. Uh, They're not looking for a story that tells them who they are. They already know who they are. They're here because they want a glimpse of who they could be. Joanna, did you buy that?
1: Oh, I, I did, yeah. I don't know if I bought it. Okay.
0: I don't know if I bought it because
1: – Well, I don't know that it was the only – do you mean as the reason why he did it or didn't do it or the, the philosophy behind the The park?
0: philosophy behind mm. like his approach because so far the majority of the stuff we've seen at Westworld, right, that, that people are enjoying is uh, killing and fucking. I mean that's that's the majority of of what we've seen. Now, mm-hmm. there are other adventures. Like that one guy went on that little quest to find that dude uh, in the mountains. just the sheriff that malfunctioned. <laughs> but uh-huh. I know I'm being incredibly <laughs> specific about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, overall, uh, all we see is like wanton violence and extreme sexual activity, uh, including James Marsden getting murdered this week for no reason other than that someone wanted to. Right. right. Uh, so the idea that this park is helping people actualize in some way, uh, in, in a way that like might be edifying, in the way that Ford talks about it, it just strikes me as a bit not backed up so far by the by what we've seen of the park.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh,
0: but you uh, you disagree? You think that Ford is right when he says that they're here because they want a glimpse of who they could be?
1: Well, I think he has two reasons for shutting um, this story down. And one is that he's building his own story, right? Right. And he's sort of like—I mean—I think you know—we we we see this character, um, this Sizemore character, sort of uh, writing Ford off as this relic, this like old timer. Who should be decommissioned uh, himself, and uh, I think you don't ever want to count Anthony Hopkins out. You know, like I think there have are like glimmers of of Lecter in this performance. Um, He's, you know, you don't have a god complex without, you know being a bit of an asshole and so I feel like he was alphaing this guy to a certain degree right. um, when he shut this whole thing down and uh, you know he said I think he says to Bernard um, you can't you can't play God without uh, like being close to the devil something like that being very familiar with the devil something like that um, you know so I think we don't want to sleep on Dr. Ford uh, here but um, in terms of the overall philosophy of the park I don't know. I think it's possible. I think uh, with Jimmy Simpson's character, I think we could see him wanting to be the hero, and so getting a glimpse of 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 what he could be as the white hatted hero. Right. Um, and uh, it, whether or not he figures out that he's not the white hatted hero, you know, we'll have to find out. But um,
0: all right, so you see there as being some glimmer of it of truth in there.
1: I think you're right that most of what we saw, especially in the pilot, was just depravity.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that's why – I think one of the reasons why this second episode works so much more for me is that it's not just about um, pure depravity. You've got the the yin and the yang of, like, the Logan character and the William character and two people exploring Westworld for different reasons. You also had, like, that family in the first episode who encountered Dolores while she's painting. Yeah. You know, they seem like – they're not there to, like, kill people and, like, have an orgy as far as I could tell. So, you know, um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the guests are there for.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine bringing a child into that situation, you know? I
1: know. It's so un- – there's so many variables, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess my, you know, ran- random thought, by the way, uh, that I've had since watching the Westworld movie and now watching the show is – uh how How do they prevent guests from harming each other right and we talked about this a little bit last week, like if they shoot a gun uh the like the guests will feel it, but it's not really gonna be a thing in the uh in the movie, they have a preposterous explanation for it, which is uh like he's like, why don't you shoot me? you know like how do they prevent us from shooting each other? He shoots a gun at his friend and it doesn't go off because he says these guns have sensors in them that detect heat, so <laughs> So when you point it at a machine, uh, you know uh-huh. it's cold, which, of course, like makes doesn't no sense. Makes no sense no. even in the universe of like even in the universe because uh, these these robots are sex bots. You can't have sex with a with right, an ice cold machine.
1: They're warm, warm fleshy. Trust me on
0: this, guys. <laughs> you can't have sex with something that doesn't feel warm. That's all I'm saying.
1: They're like warm. Yeah, they're warm, fleshy sex droids. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so so it makes no sense at all. Um, and but also the question is, what about stabbing weapons? Like, what's to prevent someone from just taking a knife and like, you know, cutting someone with it?
1: I don't understand how uh, guests can't kill guests. Right. And and I think the the Nolans talked about this, and they sort of had a mealy mouth answer about like. They were talking about stampedes, uh, like being driven by a stampede over a cliff, and they're like, Well the horses are trained to not do that to but I like they did not address host on or guest on guest violence.
0: Oh uh, uh, stampedes over uh, a cliff, I don't understand what what this reference is. Like
1: like this is what Lisa Joy Nolan, right? And she's saying Um, the question from Entertainment Weekly's James Hibbard was William is told he can't get hurt in Westworld what about him being hurt by another guest what's to keep a guest from stabbing him thinking he's a robot is there a safe word And she said, we talked a lot about the rules of the park. A lot of it isn't made explicit in the series, but there's something called the Good Samaritan reflex within hosts. So say you're in a bar fight and some guy has a knife and maybe there's even another guest that you didn't know and he thinks you're a host and he's going to stab you in the neck. In that instance, a Good Samaritan host would seamlessly intersect and get in that fight and literally take that knife for you. Now, accidents can happen Falling off a cliff and things like that, but you know it's mitigated somehow because even the animals, aside from the flies, are host. So no horse is going to buck you to your death. Hmm. Um, but I think that, yeah a, doesn't they... really answer host like intentional. Uh, guest on guest violence, like right. accidental guest on guest violence. In theory, an android would be fast enough to stand between you, right. or you know, I don't know. A snake will shoot up off the ground. Who knows? But like, it does. It, once again, it just seems like there are too many variables to this setup. Yeah, it feels uh, like
0: it, it feels like uh, it's something that we're just going to be okay with. Like as viewers, we're just going to uh, accept. No. There's gonna, there's no explanation. For why, you know, the guests can't harm each other. Right. Uh, people in the chat room, though, again, we, we always broadcast live. We tweet about it when we broadcast on Decoding Westworld. And um, Ian in the chat room says, the bullets work on hosts because the hosts explode themselves when they're shot. That's the canon in my head, at least, makes sense. Uh, which I never thought about that way, but that is pretty cool. The idea that the bullets in the guns, like, don't actually do anything and that, like, the hosts – Maybe they um their bodies can like pretend they were injured. Do you know what but I mean? But just by those? in this
1: episode we saw like a glass get shot out of the man in black's hand by a host. So the bullet from his gun is enough to shatter a glass.
0: Okay, you're right. <laughs> Ian's Ian, theory does not make any sense <laughs> <laughs> but it was that would have been cool though don't you think joanna
1: sure yeah. Um, yeah no i i just think you're right that like the rules we can we can chase our tails into this for a while but i think they have to fudge the rules a little bit on this and um but that simply that because
0: get, there's nothing to prevent guests from hurting each other like there's right. just there's no system that can prevent that really there really isn't so, and
1: like um the thing we saw at the end of the episode right is uh Dolores digging up a gun and i think what most people are assuming is that unlike the other guns which are programmed not to hurt guests this one maybe can hurt guests right right so yeah so
0: who is giving her the orders like what's going on there you know <laughs> who knows what's going to happen
1: i mean it uh, seems like it seems like bernard is it seems like the answer right but, because
0: he's been having these private sessions with her yeah himself, and
1: we right. hear his voiceover at the beginning as she's walking out of the house at night and at the end she seems like she's talking to someone even though we can't hear who she's talking to so right. yeah
0: before we get to final theories and questions um, anything that you thought could have been improved this episode i mean we, we both really like this episode so yeah uh but anything else that you thought like kind of rubbed you the wrong way or you weren't a fan of
1: you know when i was watching this episode i too was watching it sort of wondering if this was a complete reworking of the pilot right and um i took a special like particular note of the fact that rodrigo santoro's character does not show up at all in episode 2 yeah and i was wondering like cuz he's he's kind of a cartoonish character you know like given the sort of reality of the world that they're you know they're they're going for western tropes but he is like a mustache twirling Trope, right? And so I was like, is he like just too much? And they got rid of him. Um, I don't know the answer, but that's the, well, I do know the answer, but like that's the question I asked myself in episode two. So, and it, it's just, it's interesting. I can't shut off my brain and not think about the various cor- course corrections. They made first after the pilot and then later when they shut down production, just sort of watching for those things. Yeah, Because like Tessa Thompson, this great actress who is in um, Creed and is in the upcoming Thor Ragnarok and a bunch of other things, Dear, Dear White People, she's listed in, as uh, being in nine episodes of the season. Um, obviously, she hasn't shown up yet, um, but she seems like she would have a significant character, and uh, I'm curious to see what that is. So.
0: Did you catch what the player piano anachronistic song was this week?
1: It was Radiohead, right?
0: Yeah, No Surprises, I -hmm. believe, right? No Surprises Mm -hmm. by Radiohead uh, with some interesting lyrics that I'll perform for you live (gasps) dramatically now. I'm ready. (laughs) A heart that's full up like a landfill, a job that slowly kills you, bruises that won't heal. You look so tired, unhappy. Bring down the government. They don't, they don't speak for us. I'll take a quiet life, a handshake of carbon monoxide, with no alarms and no surprises, no alarms and no surprises, no alarms and no surprises. Silent, silent. Pretty ominous stuff, Joanna Robinson. Dark, pretty ominous stuff for what's uh, ahead for these characters. Um, so anyway, uh, why don't we dive into theories and speculation? now about what's uh, what's going on so obviously the big question uh, that happens at the end of this episode is what the hell is anthony hopkins doing right like what is he talking about that he's been working on and uh i think the heavy implication here is that it is some kind of like religious experience within oh because uh, of the it?
1: because of the steeple yes <laughs> uh
0: what do you think of that sharp analysis joanna <laughs>
1: That sort of black hat, white hat analysis of the scene. Um, That's right. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, I think the the themes of religion are one we, w- we want to keep a watch on, especially on the mentions of God complexes and that sort of thing. Um, and whatever he's doing, I think it's fascinating that it's so secret and uh, seemingly ambitious. I see. you know?
0: should, we, should we assume that you know what he's doing at this point? <laughs>
1: Mm, i i think you should assume that i know more about what he's doing than you know
0: i see gotcha but
1: only okay. two episodes of uh, like if you guys don't like me sounding smug it's i've only seen two more episodes and then we'll all be on the same page so. all right
0: i'm looking forward to it uh- <laughs> uh, so okay so aside from that uh we also see mave played by fanny newton uh experience continuous flashbacks right uh she's yeah. getting flashbacks through the whole episode and at the end, you kind of find out what happened. Like, in a previous life, she was a homesteader. Yeah. Uh, and w- it was, like, invaded by Native Americans. Uh, and then at the last second, the man in black comes in. So, a lot of questions about this whole situation. Like, uh, f- firstly, we learned earlier in the episode that uh, the androids have. Night, the concept of nightmares, like they grasp it in case memory wipes are not done correctly, uh, they can just assume that it was a nightmare that they 're having, and you know that right. allows them to to live with whatever memories they might accrue, um, but was this a, a former life you know like a former character that she had? Uh, was the man in black actually involved, or was she just hallucinating the man in black because the way the man in black enters is kind of weird like it looks like a, this uh, Uh, Native American is going to enter, but then the man in black suddenly replaces him. So Mm -hmm. like, was Mm -hmm. it always the man in black? Was it like, is she imposing the man in black on him? Um, Any
1: thoughts on this, Joanna? Um, I like my guess would be, you know, just as we see in this episode, Dolores flashback to the massacre that happened in the pilot as she's standing in the streets of Sweetwater. Um, We, and we know that her father, the the original droid playing her father, used to be like a what a cannibal outlaw or something like that, right? Um, so we know that the droids have played different parts and been part of different storylines. So to right. me, it seemed like she was once a homesteader who, you know, one of the parts she played would be part of a be part of a massacre um, that either guests or you know. Um, Native American hosts can can take part in, um, which is terrifying. You know, she yep. she and her daughter character must have been murdered over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, she's flashing. I think she's flashing back to that sort of harrowing, repeated experience.
0: You, you know, seeing all this death occur on the show, seeing James Marsden get murdered again, um, <laughs> seeing the Man in Black walk through, and uh, it looks like he's about to scalp her, right? Yeah. Uh, or stab her, or some, do something horrible to her. It reminds me of uh, what Eli Roth said about Hostel. Did we ever talk about this in any of our podcasts, Joanna? Like, Eli Roth and that movie Hostel? You
1: know no. <laughs> I mean, I know I know so, Eli Roth and I know Hostel, but we've never talked about
0: so it. So yeah, no. Eli Roth made this movie called Hostel, uh, and his inspiration for that movie, he said, was he heard about this place in Vietnam where you could pay ten thousand dollars to go into a room and shoot someone in the head and that idea was absolutely terrifying to him and that's why he wrote hostel which uh is basically about this club of very rich people and basically they steal people from hostels and they torture them to death and like you know like double terror on top of the just the idea that someone would pay money to kill someone else is the idea that like once you're in that situation nothing you do can alleviate your suffering in fact the more you uh beg for mercy and scream or whatever the, the other person presumably enjoys it more uh and that, that he found these concepts very terrifying and that's why he wrote the movie so uh why do i bring this up because it feels like a lot of the clientele uh, of westworld is people who like as i've said raping and killing do you feel like that is too niche of a target audience you know, do you feel like the other things that, like, I'm just saying, like, pretend Westworld existed for real, like, in real life. Like, do you feel like there would be enough people who are interested in the kind of more generic adventure to to kind of fund the entire park?
1: I don't know. I think it's, like, an immersive kind of, you know, v, if not VR, then VR-esque experience. Like, I think I would be, fa- I have no inclination to go to, like, an Old West reenactment. Like, you know, if I were to go. Didn't we talk about this? Like, which West world we would, go, what world we would want to go to? Or was I talking about that on another podcast? I think it might have been another podcast. Oh, okay. Like, like if a West world existed, what time period, what place would you want it to be or something like that? You know? Right. And I think there are definitely times and places I would want to be or, or there's, there's dozens and dozens that would win over the old West. Um, that being said, if I knew that there was a place where there were androids so advanced that I couldn't tell the difference between them and humans, I think I'd be intrigued enough to go. Mm. Whether or not um, they would get r- return business from me, I don't know. Since I'm not of the raping, killing variety, and also like I wouldn't want to go and have people raping and killing around me. Like that's the thing is like even if you're like say that family, yeah, you, exactly. Like, like w- who went to like see Dolores paint stuff and like <laughs> pre- presumably wander around the meadows or whatever. Like you know, people are raping and killing around you. Like is that is that a fun fun time for the whole family? I don't know. So right.
0: exactly, like it, it would be like. This. Disneyland, but with like more raping and killing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you wouldn't take your kid to Disneyland if there's a bunch of raping and killing there. You know, uh, so it, it does feel odd. Like, like I'm kind of wondering like, would there be enough people? What's the what's the psychographic profile of the average Westworld patron? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm curious about.
1: Yeah. So that being said, like, I think when, when I was doing this thought experiment on another podcast, I think I said I wanted to go to, like, 19th century London. Right. Um, but in that instance, you know, like, uh, there would be – jack the ripper or whatever all around you know like there there are terrible things happening in any any fantasy timeline you go into yeah i I feel like there should be like it should be more divided do you know like disneyland has different parks right there's like california adventureland and regular disneyland futureland like i feel like if you're there and you want the g-rated experience which i think is how they isn't that how they um talked about it like g-rated versus r-rated or something like that in the first episode but like if that's the experience you want i feel like you should get off at a different train stop right, right? like not everyone should dump into the town where there are whores wandering the street i don't I know agree.
0: i agree they've yeah. got to have like more kind of discretion between age groups and so on so right. uh basically what i'm saying is we should run this park, Joanna. <laughs> yeah, I mean nothing we, would go wrong. We clearly know better than the people who are already mm-hmm. running it. On that note, uh, I really kind of dig how they're like slowly revealing more info about Ed Harris's character. Mm-hmm. I just hope it goes somewhere. But you know, there is a scene in this episode where uh one person they're like you kind of get a cut of uh of the overseeing room, like the big map room where they have like the, the scale model or whatever of Westworld right. and someone says, Hey, well he's really um He's really plowing through all these people. Real, he's killing all these dudes real fast. And I think Luke Hemsworth, the the least oh. of the Hemsworth brothers,
1: that's true, <laughs>
0: says something like, "That man gets whatever he wants." Yeah, right. He does. So that could be, you know, that uh, he is one of the most rich patrons of the park, or it could be that he is, you know,
1: someone just reminded some me some kind of
0: elaborate. You know, uh, uh, host, right?
1: Right. Which is um, another theory. Uh, go ahead. You're well, one of, one of our listeners, uh, pen and paper, just just sort of blew a hole in my VR theory, I think, um, unintentionally. Uh, they wrote, it, it just seems like in the future making it virtual reality would be much more efficient than robots. And I agree. But, like, I guess why would we have that scene where Thandie Newton sees them, like, hosing down the dead robots and, like, redressing them and stuff like that? Like, <laughs> right. if it's VR, unless the whole thing is VR, like, the Delos, the Delos company is also VR. Um, but, Right. But yeah.
0: maybe it's like, you know how Steve Jobs' philosophy was <laughs> when you open up the iPhone, it should look beautiful on the inside, too, even though no one's ever going <laughs> to open it up? Maybe by the same token – Hey, this VR world should be like internally consistent, <laughs> you know. So if we need yeah. to like do a reset of the androids and hose them off, like we should actually do that <laughs> in the VR world.
1: Yeah, I think I just I think I just uh, let my VR theory go into the wind. Um, one, one
0: of the best theories uh, I think is that, firstly, one of the one of the elements of the Westworld movie is that they can't get the hands right uh, the the machines, and like that's how you tell the difference between uh, the, hand, oh. like the, the like machines that. and humans, right? Yeah. Now, in, uh, in Westworld, the show, uh, they make mention of how, like, oh, the earlier machines, like, the hands were a dead giveaway, right? Like, that's what they said, I think, in episode one. Mm. Um, and so some people have pointed out that uh, the man in black, played by Ed Harris, is always wearing gloves. I don't think we've seen his hands yet.
1: Mm. So
0: perhaps he could be an older model of machine that's running amok in the park somehow uh, via controlled fashion
1: i think one of the the, the stronger theories and this was this is reflected in the chat room just now but i've seen it around is that like the incident that they talk about 30 years previous right they talk about this incident that happened 30 yep. years ago theory is that like something happened like maybe to the men in blacks family or something like that like they died at the park in a way that you know you and I have been speculating why more people don't die that way at the park uh you know and so part of his like settlement if he sued them or something like that was like he gets to do whatever the hell he wants in the park for the rest of his life Mm -hmm. um you know, so that's a that's a theory that people have. Uh the other big theory, the, the, the theory that caught I think a lot of people's attention this week is a really elaborate one. Um that I can't really throw my full heart behind because of things I know of the future, but um A guess that I think – I'm going to have to rewatch the next two episodes to figure out exactly how much I want to throw a wet blanket on this theory. But um, the theory is that Jimmy Simpson's character Lawrence and Ben Bargan's character Logan, that their adventure is actually 30 years in the past. And what we're seeing with them mm. uh, happened 30 years ago and that Jimmy Simpson's white-headed character is going to turn into Ed Harris. Um, and so that their storyline, the Jimmy Simpson and Ben Barnes storyline, the the William and Logan storyline is going to end with the quote-unquote incident of 30 years ago. And if you watch it, which I did this tonight with that theory in mind, um, the they interact with um, – Clementine, um, the Maeve's second, uh, second in you command, know, second in yeah. command, and they interact with uh, Dolores. Um, uh, William does. Um, those two characters, I think. I think Dolores is in like sort of glitchy mode right before she interacts with him. So I think that that's our biggest tip off. But like otherwise, we don't see them do anything that hooks them directly into the current narrative that we're seeing um you
0: just blew my mind joanna robinson
1: whether that, or not
0: that is, that is nuts
1: whether or not that sustains i don't know um i don't think it does but like this is based on this week's episode this is a theory that's sort of catching fire around um the internet and i think it, it would be it, it's certainly pretty null, you know like nolan of the prestige like this is prestige, right or like uh, Matthew McConaughey was the ghost in your bookshelf all the time. Um, yeah. So it's that seems like a kind of a Nolan esque twist that they that that they would try to pull off, and it, and it would make sense for us to watch William be this hero that we want to root for, watch his story concurrently with Ed Hor- Harris enacting these atrocities, right. and then like not knowing that their stories are going to dovetail. So. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> Crazy. So one of the chat just said Bran is Max von so uh which is a nod to uh, Game of Thrones theories. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that, um, listener. But yeah, it um, – it's a stretch and we'll 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 look let's look next week and see if we can see something that disproves it. But I think within the context of this episode, there I think the other evidence is that
0: By the way, my favorite comment in the chat room is Chandra Nunnally today saying, Speculation the show will catch up and then surpass Martin's novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no
1: no. Um I think well, I should I should say that I first read this theory today over in SlashFilm.com because Peter Soretta is doing a weekly, you know, we made reference to it last week. But Peter yeah. is doing a weekly sort of Westworld theories post, um, so I thought that was the most intriguing one that in his roundup this week. But and he, I think, pulled it from Reddit. But the logo when uh, Logan and William pull into the station is different than the logo we saw last week. Mm. So some people think it's like the thirty year old logo or wow. something.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm totally on board with this theory. Okay.
1: Right yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Crazy. So, Crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap it up for today, I do want to just uh, give a shout out to uh, Wiki Rascals uh, who made our yeah. our uh, podcast art. Um, so really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I think he he produced our podcast art in probably like 90 minutes. Uh, after we came, and it the only show. took
1: him that, and it took him that long because he was like at lunch when we asked him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he so would have done it even faster.
0: Really I appreciate him coming through with that. You can find his work at wikirascals.com That's w i k i rascalscom Also, David Vermontes, I think, also sent us some uh, album art that was inspired by the podcast. Beautiful. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it it was very nice. Uh, So just wanted to say, we appreciate that. And, uh, and for all the people who have uh, supported and downloaded this podcast, uh, do want to say, if you have enjoyed this podcast, uh, we would greatly appreciate uh, you leaving a review for us on iTunes. Uh, It will help more people find the podcast and uh, who knows where this thing will go. Uh, So the more people that find us, uh, the more time and energy we can commit to it. So, uh, Do leave us a rating. At the very least, check off a star rating or uh, leave us a review uh, on iTunes. Uh, And find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. You can always email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. So until next week, Jonah Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the Internet this week?
1: I'm still talking about Game of Thrones over on the Storm of Spoilers podcast, or you can listen to me talk about Oscar-worthy films, uh, including this week I'll be talking about La La Land over on Little Gold Men, um, or you can find me on VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Joe
0: Find all my stuff at DaveChen.me, and find my film The Primary Instinct on Hulu and at ThePrimaryInstinct.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.